0: to have a tie factory going on over there. You're, you're looking pretty spiffy, dads. So this morning, we're going to talk about qualifications for leadership. So if you care, I'm going to tell you who, who to vote for this year. Actually, on a second thought, let's talk about leadership in the church. We'll save that for another time quick review of where we've been. Paul is discipling Timothy so that Timothy can give leadership to a church in Ephesus that's in modern day Turkey. Timothy had been planning to leave Ephesus. He felt probably felt the heat coming and he wanted to go somewhere else, but Paul said hey bud, stop. Not so fast. You need to tell certain persons who are teaching contra-gospel, anti-gospel, false doctrine to stop it." Last week, in in uh, chapter two, verses one to seven, we saw how Paul instructed the church to pray, particularly for the progress of the gospel. So Paul is trying to sustain the gospel-centered word and ministry at Ephesus, and he's doing that through Timothy. So uh, this week we're going to talk from uh, chapter three, verses one to seven, because it has something to say to dads for for Father's Day. And we'll come back and pick up the second part of chapter two next week. So, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to read from chapter 3, verse 1 to 7 of Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard nor not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money he must manage his own household well with all dignity of keeping his children submissive for if someone does not know how to manage his own household how will he care for God's church he must not be a recent convert nor, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Father, we need your Spirit, the author of your word, to grant us understanding and and help to grasp what your word is saying to us, what it means, how it applies, and give us receptive hearts to what you want to teach us. Help me, Father, to be faithful to your word, by your grace and, and according to the, the glory of Christ, we ask this in His name, Amen. You may be seated. So, looking at verse one, he says, "The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task." So, why was this a saying in the church? Why was that such a thing that it was a saying? Like this is what you said to people: If anyone desires the office to be an office of, of, of overseer, um, he desires a noble task. Why was that a saying? Giving oversight to the church was vitally important. And in Ephesus, for, the need for qualified leadership was great due to the presence of false teachers, especially since some of the false teachers had come from the leaders, more than likely. Paul had warned them 10 years earlier, back in in Acts, we read it, Acts chapter 20. He had warned the, the elders at Ephesus Uh, This way, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So sadly, what Paul said came to to be true, that some people rose, leaders came out of the church who who were speaking twisted things. Um, They didn't pay close enough attention to their spiritual health. So one of Timothy's tasks is to establish qualifications for overseers. Now you may be asking, what is an overseer? Good question. We have overseers. Well, the Greek word is episkopos, and you may hear within that we get the word episcopal from that. Uh, actually, that word migrated through from the Greek to the English to become the word bishop. So some of the older translations say, um, call this role bishop. But that comes with some baggage that's not necessary to, to carry. So uh, the word just means overseer, and so it's good to, to just call it overseer. So um, the, the word literally means overseer, and th- the terms overseer, elder, and shepherd or pastor are used interchangeably in various texts. First Peter five, Titus chapter one has its own list of qualifications, and, and Acts chapter twenty as well. So an overseer is an elder, is a shepherd, pastor. Same thing. Now, typically, we refer, in many churches like ours, we refer to uh, the paid staff elders as pastors and the elders who are not paid staff as elders. But but in the Scripture, they're all the same. They're, they're, they have the same work. They just have different emphases, different uh, times of, of de- being devoted to that task. And so if anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, you should have his head examined. <laughs> that's what we typically think. Uh, well, first, before becoming an overseer or an elder, you have to want to be one. Now, that's part of the issue, is many times guys don't want to be an elder. And so that's not a problem. They don't, we don't have a bunch of people lined up wanting to do that. On the other hand, some guys are too eager to be elders for power and control reasons. But just because it's possible to have self-serving ambition doesn't mean there is no good motivation in aspiring to the servant leader role of an overseer or an elder. That's because Paul says it is a noble task. It's a good work. It's a good work because uh, it's vitally important for the church. Basically, the apostles planted churches and then they appointed elders to lead the church. So they they would stay around. They would disciple people. They would appoint elders to lead the church. They would come back and check up on them. So that's how, from the beginning, uh, the church was was governed. An overseer leads and shepherds the church. He watches over the health, direction, and life of the church. Paul assumes Timothy understands that, and he did. So the question is, do you have a heart for encouraging Christ's church to be healthy? to grow stronger in the word of God, to be making disciples for Jesus, to be spreading the gospel, to keep sound teaching of God's word central, to be growing and becoming like Jesus? If you do, God may be preparing you to become an elder. So what, what does it take to be an elder? Business administrative skills, type A personality, being in a leadership role in your work, Financial success. Well, some of these skills can be useful in serving as an elder. The two best models that describe an elder are, are that he is a, like a father and he's like a shepherd. He's like a father and he's like a shepherd. Paul, in a, a little bit later in this text, will talk about how he, how an elder or an overseer is like a father. Uh, Paul, or Peter, actually, in Chapter 5, I'll just read you a couple of verses from verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So Peter, the apostle, considered himself a fellow elder with other elders of the churches. Shepherd the flock of God. So if you're an elder, you're to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, there's that word again, verb form of overseer, Oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. So just as you would your family, because you love them, care for the church, shepherd the church, give oversight to the church. So a father shepherds his family, and he's primarily responsible to lead, guide, care, and provide for for his family. So shepherding father is similar work. you got sheep that get dirty and get sick and need discipline, need direction, need feeding. In verse 2, Paul starts out with, therefore, because he's making a strong connection here. Therefore, because being an overseer or an elder is such an important role, because as goes the leadership, so goes the church. That's scary. As goes the leadership, so goes the church. So you're a victim of us, who are leaders, or being helped one way or the other, hopefully helped more than victimized. He must meet the qualifications. So, Therefore, because this role is so important, there are qualifications that God reveals through the apostles that an elder or overseer needs to meet. This was a big issue for them in in Ephesus because of the character, the bad character and behavior of the false teachers. What we'll see is that most of the qualifications are about character and not about uh, function. Far more about character than about function. And nearly all these characteristics are, are expected for all Christians. Not just elders. So as a a father to the church, an elder or an overseer models these qualities for the church family. So you might say, well, if these qualities are required of all Christians, what sets elders apart? What makes them unique? Well, for one thing, what he starts out saying that they must be uh, above reproach. An elder must be above reproach. Now, what that doesn't mean is perfect, because... We don't get there till heaven. But what it does mean is he can't be justifiably accused of obvious ongoing negligence or violation in any of these areas that he that he describes. Um, being above approach means that an elder is to be the kind of man no one suspects of wrongdoing or immorality. People would be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such acts. So it's Above reproach means you can't be accused of, of, of significant negligence in any of these areas that Paul mentions. And so, better a godly elder with mediocre leadership gifts than a dynamic leader with glaring moral flaws. This is also the first of the elder qualifications that Paul lists in Titus chapter one. So it's it's where when he talks about what it what is required to be an elder, he starts out. With, you've got to be above reproach, and then after that, and he says he must be the husband of one wife. What does that mean? Well, it might sound pretty obvious, but there's been a lot of debate over the years about what this means. So uh, one one possibility means it prohibits polygamy. You can't have more than one wife on the side. No extra wives, No no numbers of wives, just one. And actually, at the, at the time Paul's writing, in both the Greek culture and the Jewish culture, this wasn't a big issue. Pre- they pretty much realized that one wife is enough. So, uh, and certainly in Christian culture, um, they, they knew that God's design was one wife, one, one husband. So uh, it doesn't seem likely that that was Paul's main meaning here, because it wasn't really a big problem then. Um, Paul also endorsed the advantages of remaining single. He said, hey, in 1 Corinthians, he said, be like I am. I'm more free to serve the Lord as a single person. So it doesn't. he's certainly not saying that only married guys can be elders. Uh, was he saying that you couldn't be remarried after death of your spouse, of your wife? Well, no, that wasn't the problem, so he's not saying that. Maybe he's saying you can't be remarried after a divorce. So if you have a... Um, An unbiblically grounded divorce, and you're remarried, then you can't be an elder. He could mean that. But I think the primary meaning is that a man is devoted and faithful to his wife. That's what he's saying. He's a one-woman man. It's very clear that he's devoted totally to his wife. He doesn't have a a perfect marriage. But he has a Christ-centered marriage, a Christ-honoring marriage. And uh, this requirement shows up again in uh, in other lists of of leadership requirements. So it's very important. And it's it's second on the list after you must be above reproach. So you need to be blameless and you need to be clearly a lover of your wife. If you're married, the first test for elder qualification is, how's your marriage? Are you compromising it in any way? with real people or false people on the Internet? If you are um, not unquestionably faithful to your wife, then you're not qualified to be an elder. If you aspire to be, be an elder and your marriage is shaky, don't give up. Do the hard work of repairing and renewing it. And while we're on the subject, whether you're an elder or not, or aspire to be an elder or not, how, how are you doing in your marriage? How's it going? Wonderful. I could ask Judy if she seconds that motion, but I'm not going to put the pressure on her. Beyond that, Paul says you must be, you must be sober-minded, clear-minded, You're able to make sound judgments. Your emotions don't overwhelm your thinking and reasoning. He said, my emotions overwhelm my thinking and reasoning 20 times yesterday. Well, that's a problem. Similarly, he says, self-controlled. You're not given to impulsive or compulsive behavior and emotions that can lead to foolish and regretful decisions and deeds. He also says he needs to be respectable. He has an outward dignity and respectability. Does he live a life worthy of respect? Now, if you remember remember Rodney Dangerfield, he would not be qualified to be an elder because he got no respect. So no Rodney Dangerfields. He needs to be hospitable. Literally, that means a stranger lover. Due to the dangers of travel in the Roman Empire and and the struggles many Christians had to afford um, lodging, the church depended upon... Hospitality of those who could open their homes and, and share their goods. All Christians were and are to be hospitable, opening their homes to share life and meals with others, especially with those in need. It also allows elders to show others how they live at home and, and how Christians do family life. And elders set the tone for the church family to be hospitable and welcoming in our gatherings. And He's to be able to teach. Now, this one is the only one qualification that is a skill rather than a character quality. It doesn't mean that every elder needs to be able to deliver 45-minute sermons before a group, of large group of people. But he should be able to teach biblical truth to individuals or to small groups, whether in a classroom, in a home, or over coffee. And this is a critical need for the church in Ephesus due to the damage created by the false teaching. Paul said, and he explains it a little bit further in Titus chapter 1, verse 9. He says, he, he's referring to the elder, or the overseer, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, must hold firm to, to God's word, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So you need to be able to teach it, instruct it, and rebuke those who contradict it and hold fast to it. The elder's authority doesn't come from his personality. It doesn't come from his education. It doesn't come from his position or his social standing or his expertise in in the area. It comes from his reliance upon God's word. That's where his authority comes from. His holding firmly to it and his ability to teach what it says and how it applies. He is to be a man of this book. So far, Paul has listed seven positive qualities the overseer needs to have. In verse 3, he lists four negative qualities to avoid. So here's some things to avoid. Don't be a drunkard. So if you're, if you're a drunkard, stop it. Cut it out. He can't be, he's saying literally he can't be addicted to wine and he can't be a heavy drinker. Not given to drunkenness. And of course, this would apply to addiction to other intoxicating substances. Not violent, but gentle. Roy, there's nothing worse than an elder meeting who ends up in a fight, right? Yeah. <laughs> Elders must not be given to violence or fighting. Instead, he should be gentle or gracious. Are you known in your circles as a, as a bully when you don't get your way? Any bullies here when you don't get your way? Not to be quarrelsome. You're not given to contentious arguing. Instead, you're peaceable. So if you really get off on quarreling needlessly, then that's not a good thing. Not a lover of money. In chapter 6 of First Timothy, Paul says that there are some who see godliness as a means of financial gain. So if you're paid, if you're a paid elder, don't be in it for the money. The overseers probably handled the church finances, so they needed to be uh, trustworthy with money. Elders' lifestyles and uh, business practices needed to be free from greed and the love of money. Though elders should encourage and model generous giving to the Lord's work through the church, they, they are not to be motivated by money, as if that is the highest measure of health of the church. Everything's about money. Then in verse 4 he starts talking about how the church is based upon a family model. He must manage his household well. The structure and culture of the church is not that of a business or a corporation or of a r- religious organization. It's family. The church is based upon family model. There are spiritual fathers and mothers and children and grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. and And as we already said, overseers, Elders are spiritual fathers. They're heads of household. Paul says this a little bit later in in verse 15 of chapter 3. He says, "If, if I delay getting there to Timothy, I'm writing so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. The church is God's household. The church is the church of the living God. It's God's church. It's his household. And he says he must manage his household well meaning to influence others to follow a course of action. An overseer's skill in managing and leading his household indicates his capability to manage Christ's church. And in particular, this involves how he cares for and gives direction to his children. This doesn't mean an elder has to have, has to have children, but if he does have them, they've got to be um, tolerable. They've got to be under discipline. They can't be wild, crazy, Most of the time. They're not perfect. Not talking perfection. But they are responsive to his leadership. He is to do this with all dignity, with proper fitting behavior. This means he shouldn't be flying off the handle or be inconsistent in his discipline. It's like Paul says in, in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. A pastor friend of mine had a son who, in his teen years, became pretty rebellious, and he got into illegal drugs, and, and he was um, creating a lot of trouble. At one point, he offered the pastor offered his um, resignation to the other elders due to his son's continuing pattern of not being obedient. But because the pastor was taking strong disciplinary measures, including having his son arrested, they chose not to accept his resignation. They believed he was modeling for others how to deal with rebellious son. They committed to supporting his efforts. Eventually, his son repented and came back to the Lord, and he's, he's married, he has kids today, he's, he's living a godly life. So it's how you deal with your kids. It's not that they're perfect every moment or even for a season, but you you, you exercise godly discipline. He says in verse 5, if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So what are the similarities between being a dad and being an elder? In both cases, a man takes on a leadership role. In both, he bears the the primary responsibility to help those under his care grow up and live together in harmony. Both parenting and eldering are about guiding people toward maturity within a community context. Guiding people toward maturity within the community context. So teaching you how to live together, to encourage one another to to be uh, united. You learn to shepherd God's family by shepherding yours first. He learns to care for the church from caring for his children. He, He gives appropriate attention to the church because he has cared for his children. You pray for your children, you pray for the church. You teach your children truth, you teach the church God's truth. You protect your kids from evil, so you do for the church. You encourage and exhort your kids. You encourage the church. If you never learn to do that, it's really hard to care for God's church. And then in verse 6, he says he must not be a recent convert, mean, he may become puffed up with conceit. So new Christians can be zealous for, for Jesus. They can put some of us longtime Christians to shame by by their zeal for the Lord, by uh, their bold witness going all out for Jesus. Some of them grow rapidly in knowing God's word. Their lives can be so transformed and and they can be so willing to serve that that we can be tempted to put them in leadership positions, Uh, especially the hard-to-fill ones. Like, hey, snag him, put him over middle school. Paul says we should not make recent converts Elders. In their zeal, they can become puffed up with conceited pride. They may believe that because they're so zealous for the Lord, in comparison to many in the church who don't seem very committed, that, they, uh, that their, their mission and their calling is to reform the church. And motivated by pride, they, they can do a lot of damage. In other cases, the new converts may be influential people in the community or, or have leadership roles or in, in their business or organization. They may seem like just the kind of people that the, that the elder team needs. But Paul says there's a danger that new converts can become conceited and prideful as, as they make things happen according to their agenda. The result is they can fall into the condemnation that the devil fell into. And he was judged for that. At the very least, what this means is that like the devil, the proud elder becomes disqualified from the privilege of serving, just like the devil was once God's leading servant. And then he says in verse 7, the elder must be well thought of by those outside the church. He's virtually repeating what he says in verse 2, that he must be above reproach. So above reproach, be well thought of outside the church. Otherwise he will fall into the... Disgrace and the devil's snare. One of the devil's favorite pastimes is setting traps for spiritual leaders to fall into sin and bring public reproach to the church. And there's not a year, year that goes by that this doesn't happen in a lot of smaller places, but some very invisible places as well. There was one um, big name guy who fell this year, and some of the elders knew what he was doing, and, and they 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 didn't confront him. They didn't. They covered up for it. And he did a lot of damage to a lot of people by, by his fall. The media loves to feed on the results of, of the devil's trap. The gospel is tarnished, and those who love to hate the Christian faith are happy to have more justification for their scorn. So you get these questions. Oh, really? Is he a member of your church? Is he he's an elder at your church? What are you teaching there man he's he's a rat he's bad news. That's what you don't want to hear i at a former church, I had uh, some someone come to me and, and talk about a spiritual leader that way and just said he he runs his business with a lot of anger he he gets upset and he throws temper tantrums. It's bad, and that was really hard to hear. So, what do people in his neighborhood think, in his workplace and community think of, of him is very important. Overseers, elders teach, they pray, they serve so that their brothers and sisters might know Jesus more intimately, obey him more faithfully, and reflect his character more clearly, both individually and as a church family. An elder pastor wrote about his ordination. One of the men on his review team asked him to read first Timothy three, one to seven. So he said, "I read it out loud. I opened my Bible and I read first Timothy three one to seven aloud to the to the man and, and to the others in the room. When I finished, the man said to me, "Thank you for reading that. I only have one question: Is that you?" Then he sat down. Now, the reality is all of us should be able to say, answer that question, is that you, and be able to say yes. And it's for all of us to, to adopt these these qualities. It's not just for elders, but elders need to, to fulfill them for sure. We especially need qualified elders. So with that tune, I'm going to pray. Father, would you help us to fulfill what your word says we are to live as and like? Would you help us to be a people who are above reproach, who are faithful in our marriages, who are self-controlled, respectable, honorable, good reputation outside the church? Would you be working in our hearts to continue to raise up godly leaders who can teach and hold fast to your word and, and shepherd us to growing in godliness and, and wisdom and Christ-centered, gospel-centered truth. Father, we, we humbly admit how we're challenged by these things, to live these things out in our families and in our, in our homes and our places of work with one another. But thank you that you give us your word and your spirit and one another to encourage one another to love and good deeds. Continue to grow us up, Father, in being more like what Jesus was like. The Apostle Paul was like Jesus and we want to be like him. So help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.